0: Low Burn Media and Bill Huffman present this week's episode of Who Killed? With Nick from the True Crime Garage Podcast.
1: I can say that at this point uh, in the investigation, though it is very early, um, we uh, are not currently uh, seeking or uh, looking for an outstanding suspect.
2: Well, the autopsy says the cause of death for both Barry and Honey Sherman was ligature neck compression. But beyond that, they aren't saying how they came to be strangled inside their Toronto home. And it's been three days since they were found inside that Toronto mansion. That home still very much a crime scene. And homicide investigators have taken over the investigation. They say they're still calling it a suspicious death investigation because simply they are... Are still picking up those pieces of evidence. Now, they had said initially they weren't 100% sure that foul play was involved. They also said there were no signs of forced entry into that home. And they said at the time that they were not seeking any suspects but there have also been media reports citing police sources saying that uh, the police were investigating this as a possible murder suicide of course the sherman family shocked to hear that they had released a statement this past weekend to the media calling for a full police investigation
3: i've had murder cases where i've made an arrest four years after the fact And as we know, we have a a cold case squad that can make arrests and and close cases decades afterwards. I I don't think this case is going to fall into that category, Uh, but there is a lot of material uh, that has to be gone through um,
1: before we get to a conclusion.
2: In November of last year, billionaires Barry and Honey Sherman listed their North York home on Old Colony Road for $6.9 million as they prepared to build a new house. They were last seen alive on December 13th when they met with the builder of their new residence to review designs. Two days later, December 15th, a real estate agent discovered their bodies near the indoor swimming pool. The Shermans were in a semi-seated position with belts around their necks. A new update to bring you on the now years-old investigation into the murders of billionaire couple Barry and Honey Sherman. The Toronto Star is reporting a foreign country has given evidence to the Toronto Police. It's not clear which country the information came from, but it was shared under a legal treaty Canada has with dozens of countries. A search warrant has also reportedly been served here in Canada sometime this fall. The couple were found dead in their home back in 2017. At the time, their death was ruled a murder-suicide. But the police changed their theory soon after to describe the deaths as a targeted homicide.
3: Police in Toronto say the deaths of a billionaire couple are suspicious, but they're not calling it a homicide case yet, even though homicide detectives are leading the investigation. The bodies of Barry and Honey Sherman were found in their home on Friday. Barry is the founder of the Canadian pharmaceutical
0: giant Apotex. Hello and welcome to episode 94 of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media production. On this week's episode, we'll be taking a look at the mysterious murders of Honey and Barry Sherman from Toronto, Canada. This was on Friday, December 15, 2017, when a couple who was interested in purchasing their home had arrived at 10.30 a.m. with the real estate agent for a tour. Now, the group toured together for about a half an hour, and they reached the basement, which would have been the highlight of any luxury home because it included the indoor swimming pool. Now, as the assistant uh, sales agent opened the door, she saw the bodies of Honey and Barry Sherman hung with belts by their necks from the pool's railing. And again, this was approximately 10.30 a.m. And the discrepancy here is that the housekeeper was the one who finally called 911, about a full hour later, and it was 11.43. So there's a discrepancy there that the police and the family did not like. There was just some disconnect there. And then another disconnect between the family and the police occurred when the coroner reported that the autopsies had shown that both deaths were, quote, ligature neck compression. Now, ligature strangulation is distinguished from hanging by the strangling force being something other than the person's body weight. And again, Barry and Honey had also been dead for at least a day. And they could determine this because rigor mortis had already passed and they were actually limp at this point. Now there were injuries to their wrists and there were tests done to see if these were old or new injuries. And that night, The Toronto police made two statements, and this, again, is another disconnect between the families and probably created a schism. And that was when the police announced that they were not looking for any suspects at the time, and they had found no forced entry into the home. And on December 16th, police sources told the Toronto Star that they were probing the possibility that they were a murder-suicide, believing Barry killed Honey before taking his own life. Now, this was something that the friends and family could not comprehend, and the children actually issued a statement urging the police to conduct a thorough criminal investigation and actually chastised them for making the murder-suicide theory public. And again, in December 16th of that year, the family, they they had their own conference and released a statement basically stating that there is no possible way that they could have had a murder-suicide within their family, and the police calling it that was completely irresponsible. And another thing that's important to know about the Barry Sherman legacy is that he was actually a billionaire, and not just any billionaire. He was one of Canada's richest men. And he was the founder of a generic drug company called Apotex Incorporated. And they were the largest generic drug distributor in the entire country. And again, he actually employed more than 10,000 people and they sold roughly 300 products all around the world. So their revenue each year was something around $2 billion dollars. And this company was founded back in 1974. And Barry was always in constant battles with the, quote-unquote, big pharma, as well as government regulators. And he actually once claimed that, quote, if we're thieves, then we're Robin Hoods, unquote. Winning in court was so crucial to his success that, He did tell his employees that they worked for a legal company, and that happened to sell medications. So, you know, it's an interesting dynamic that he had. You know, he never really intended to become this entrepreneur drug maker, but it was his summer job working for his uncle Lou's Empire Laboratories that kind of brought him into the industry. And this is another situation that creates another disconnect in the family. And that battle actually involved Carrie Winter and his three siblings. And that goes back as far as the 1960s. And when this happened, it's because Louis Winter basically died and um, the parents were had passed away. And... Barry actually bought the company that his uncle Lou had owned. So the cousins were told that they would be allowed to buy 5% of the company when they were able to. Now, again, that was part of the purchase deal. And so they went to a lot of trouble taking this to court. And unfortunately, the winners lost a number of court cases, along with one that occurred in the months prior to the murders of Barry and Honey. Now, this, of course, would make anybody suspicious. And Mr. Winter really did not help his cause, because he actually admitted that he had once fantasized about murdering Barry. And in Carrie Winters' final interview with Bob McLean of The Fifth Estate... He actually says he wanted to hurt Barry and that Barry may have killed Honey because he asked Carrie to kill her once. And then he failed a lie detector test. So, take that as you will. Grain of salt. And then there was another twist. A year later, in the surprise announcement, the family announced that the private investigation had been completed. And that the police investigation had remained active and ongoing. Now, the conference that they held was actually meant to show a new close relationship between the Sherman family and the Toronto Police Services. And the family is apparently committed to working with the Toronto Police now. And again, this is really shocking because it took 12 months basically for everything to cool down and for them to come together and there's another thing that they have been able to do the kids of honey and berry because there's four kids of the sherman family and they were actually able to keep the details of the sherman estate out of the uh, public eye which is common practice in canada i mean it's it becomes public record But they've been able to keep that under wraps. So it's kind of interesting. And um, it's just one of those cases that you kind of need somebody to talk to about it. And I actually was lucky enough to talk with Nick of the True Crime Garage podcast this week about this case. And I do want to reference something real quick because... The lawsuits that the Winter family had filed against the Shermans were finally, they finally came to an end in March 2020 when basically Canada's Supreme Court said they would not look at their appeal. And Winter basically said that he was disappointed. And, you know, fast forward to just two days ago, two days ago. And Toronto police have announced they have identified a person of interest in the billionaire couple murders. And this is shocking because Nick and I literally did the interview on Tuesday. So I'm going to play you the clip of the announcement and then I'm going to jump into my conversation with Nick of True Crime Garage and we will discuss who killed Barry and Hun Sherman. You know, those bodies were discovered at... 10:30 in the morning by the real estate agent who was giving a tour at the time and you know the bodies were discovered in the pool area and they were hanging by men's belts from the railing that goes into the pool and then an hour and 12 minutes go by before the police are contacted What do you, I mean, what do you think's going on there? Like, what are they doing for an hour and 12 minutes?
3: Well, that's very interesting. And that's one thing that that I've really kind of circled around several times in regards to this case. The realtor finds the bodies in the lap pool area of the home, then does not call police or medics. Instead calls, I believe it was Honey's sister. And then waits an additional hour or so to then call police and medics. I think there's a couple of things going on here. First of all, I found that incredibly suspicious at first, like why, why does this go on? And then my first thought after that was, well, maybe it's just kind of panic. It's a panic of I've immediately, I've, I've found myself in a situation where I have no idea what to do. You don't walk into someone's home expecting to find the homeowners dead somewhere in the place. And I've, we've all been in situations, not like this, thank God, but situations where you're overwhelmed or there's shock value, there's something going on and you pick up the phone and you might not call the person that is the right person, but you called somebody. And so that's where my first thought went to was, was this just reactionary knee jerk called the wrong person. This is the only family member I know have, have the phone number for. but then to get off the phone, to have the time to take a deep breath, to count to 10, and then still not call police and medics. And you go, okay, something's fishy here. But then I say, back it up a little bit. I don't think there's anything fishy here. I think the problem is, is what the realtor saw. I think the realtor went in there, saw something that has been described by others to have looked a lot like a murder suicide, And I think that the what was going on here is, okay, I'm pretending to be the realtor. They're dead. This appears to be a murder suicide. I'm going to call the sister. Now, there's no point in calling the authorities or the medics until the children are notified. So the sister would notify Barry and, Sher- Barry and Honey's four children. And then, okay, sister's called me back or text me and said, everybody's been notified. Now I'm calling police and medics. This guy is worth like $3 billion, Barry Sherman. So we're not talking about rich people. We're talking about wealthy people. And there's there's a distinct difference between the two. These two were extremely wealthy. This was going to be on the news, on the radio, in the papers immediately. So maybe this was just simply a sign of respect for the children and for the family by the realtor who had a fiduciary duty, even if it's just selling the home, to, to always keep the best interest of her or his clients um, at the front of their mind at all times. And so maybe this was a thing of going, I don't know exactly what I'm seeing here, but this is what it looks like. And this is how I'm going to, to phone it in.
0: And, you know, I've, I've read that she, the real estate agent did go and speak with the the gardener because the gardener was there before the real estate agent, but the gardener, had no expectation that the family was even going to be there so he didn't even it was nothing out of the ordinary for him
3: not to see the family so um yeah a couple things and that's what i find to be very interesting about the crime scene now this is a very large home so it's not the same as as my house bill i know you you live in a very large home as well so you can you you can uh (laughs) understand this but um, yeah
0: my house has nine interest entrances just like the Sherman
3: home <laughs> yeah so so try to scale it back a little bit and think of pretend like you're the every man here with me and I think what's interesting here about this this crime scene one it's it's going to be difficult in the sense for law enforcement just because of the size of the home because of the number of entry and exits to and from the house we saw that to be an issue with the John Bonet case where Sure, look, proving that somebody snuck into the house is not so easy when there's a hundred thousand ways to sneak into a house, windows, doors, and so on and so forth. Now, what it does tell me the, house,
0: the bigger the problem as far as narrowing down where the entrance
3: could have occurred right right we've th- some of the wisest men throughout history have always said mo money, mo problems, and so that's what I think we have here with this crime scene. It's difficult for investigators and for the police now, but what can we learn from the statements that, that have been released by the realtor? As it's, the general understanding I have, Bill, is that we have a housekeeper and this gardener person who was, were both inside the home. Prior to the realtor arriving to show the house, the realtor is in the house with potential buyers showing the place when she makes the discovery. We have maybe five people possibility of five people inside the home before the discovery is made. That tells me that there, we're not talking about a crime scene where there's a lot of blood or a lot of signs of struggle because the, the housekeeper or the gardener or the realtor, those three people, had they seen any of that before the realtor discovered the bodies, they would have went and looked to figure out why. Why am I seeing blood? Why am I seeing furniture knocked over? Why am I seeing a window kicked in? Um, so those things, I, I, I feel 100% confident saying were not present at the crime scene. If they were, it would have only occurred in that, that pool area what is your thought about the fact i'm looking at this
0: um the investigators you know when they found the bodies they had their jackets pulled behind their backs and rolled over their arms like that's just like a weird um that's a weird position to put yourself in if you know what i mean like if it's a murder suicide like what the what the hell are you doing
3: um yeah, I, I don't think this is a position that either of them put themselves in. Um, I think that the... Look, it's December. It's Canada. It's cold. I think that they were probably wearing their jackets when when this attack was initiated. Yeah,
0: like they probably were confronted when they returned home. Something along those lines. Correct,
3: correct. And so to carry out that that thought and belief a little bit further, and so that your listeners are not going well, this realtor sounds like a horrible person shortly after the discovery of the bodies, law enforcement. Their statement was pretty simple. it was no signs of forced entry. The deaths are suspicious in nature. They didn't say that we have a homicide here. they said we think the deaths are suspicious, and we're going to investigate as such but went on to say we are not actively looking for any suspects. Well, if the deaths are suspicious, why are you not looking for suspects is what what Joe public would like to know. Well, you're doing that for a couple of reasons. One is if in fact you do believe that you have a double homicide here, there is a chance that there is evidence or or leads that you already have that are telling you these Victims were targeted, and we believe that the suspect is someone close to them and only killed them to kill them for what, for whatever reason it was, that is their only plan was to kill them. They're not a harm or a threat to the rest of society or the neighbors or the public in general. However, in this situation, given what we just discussed with the realtor, and given what we know will be kind of the 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 start of the investigation or at least the first theory that they start to work on is again, that murder suicide. So that accurately their statement accurately would describe a murder suicide. We think the deaths are suspicious, meaning they didn't die of natural causes and we are not actively looking for any suspects because we believe the suspect killed himself after killing his wife. So I think very likely that is what was going on. That's what makes this case very difficult as far as, as w- once we get involved, as armchair detectives here, Bill, mm-hmm. you, you got to wonder. That's what it looks like at the scene to the untrained eye, the realtor. Right. And then that's what it looks like to the trained eye, the investigators. And so you have to wonder, I think that there's, um, we can't, throw that out the window and say that that's not a possibility here. I don't think it's the most likely possibility. I would put it low on the list, but I don't think that I would, would rule that out.
0: I, I mean, I, 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 agree with, with what you're saying as far as, I mean, just as far as the whole um, murder suicide thing, I, de- I definitely don't think this is, a, I mean, it was within like just a couple days. That they, I mean, the family quickly, quickly you know put out a statement saying you know we don't believe this is a murder-suicide and um, again the positions of the bodies like we said like nobody's putting themselves in that position and the fact that this guy was worth so much and he was a generic i mean he was he, he owned the largest generic drug manufacturing company in canada so he was always at odds and in lawsuits and all all sorts of stuff and so like you got to wonder how many people he, and I don't mean this in like a, like he was maliciously doing it, but like how many people feel like he crossed them and in the rise to his um, fortune. And, you know, we know there's obviously some family issues there too. So, I mean, like as far as like the amount of people who would have wanted this person dead, Despite all of the philanthropy that he did, it's just it seems very wide, even though they haven't named any suspects.
2: On the morning of August 1st, 1966,
1: shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas
0: campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in
2: America.
3: I mean, you have good businessmen and bad businessmen and to be a good businessman, you often have to be maybe a bad person. And and I don't mean that Barry was a bad person, as you said, malicious or anything like that, but you tend to have to be a little cutthroat and um, you, you're not going out of your way to make business friends. Along the way, you're making business decisions, and sometimes that comes at the expense of friends or people that thought that you had some type of uh relationship with. So I think that there's every indication that Barry was a good businessman and that he look you have to you have to step on a through a few throats along the way to to get to the top and I think that that's um, what Barry did here, and regardless of the statement. You know, oh, they didn't have any enemies. They, the, we couldn't think of anybody that would want to hurt Honey or hurt Barry or 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 kill Honey. Uh, they didn't have any enemies. Well, they apparently had one, um, at least one that I can point to. I don't know who that was. It's the unknown killer. But um, you know, unless you're, unless you unfortunately get into a vehicle with Ed Kemper or Ted Bundy or some random break-in from the night stalker oftentimes a murder victim has it has one person that did want to cause them some harm
0: yeah again you know like the the whole generic drug industry like you said he might have he obviously had one enemy but the fact that he went into a bunch of different lawsuits he was accused of you know corporate espionage in certain regards and there were there was a lot of shady stuff but you know he started his company in 1974 and the thing that is crazy is that so he basically got his start with the purchase of his uncle's company which was empire medical and in that purchase you know he basically had said that you know the siblings had a right to buy 5% of the you know, buy into 5% of the Abatex which is the generic drug company that he ended up running and creating. So, you know, he was facing these lawsuits in the early 2000s or about owing them 5% of his company. And that was, you know, that was Carrie winter and, you know, the cousins, the cousins and, you know, I guess it's, they even started that and said that legal proceedings actually started in the 1990s. So um, that's pretty crazy. And uh, they've lost their case so many times and it's just, it's, it's a weird situation as far as that whole side of the family. When you think of who possibly could have wanted the family dead or could have had the means to hire somebody to commit this type of crime, because this is definitely not your run-of-the-mill murder. You know, you, you don't... Generally, professional hits are done with a gun and or a bomb, and this looked like it was personal, in my opinion. I'd like to thank this week's sponsor, BetterHelp. I've had to deal with my fair share of anxiety and depression in my life, And I'm happy to say that there's now an easy way to get help. Because if there's anything that interferes with your happiness or is holding you back from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's convenient because it needs to be in our hectic lives. So get help on your own time, at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp really is there for you. They have over 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 U.S. states. And guess what? If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time. There are even apps available for your computer or smartphone. Whether you're suffering from anxiety, depression, stress, relationship issues, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, or just self-esteem, they are there for you. They literally have a licensed professional counselor for you. And of course, everything you share is confidential. The best part is, it's truly an affordable option. Who Killed listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code WHO. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com WHO. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and you can get matched with a therapist you'll love. Again, for 10% off, go to betterhelp.com slash who.
3: Well, so that brings up an interesting scenario here because what what is our motive for the double homicide?
0: Well, my feeling on it would be that from what I've seen as far as reports go, there was discussion that sherman was in the you know there's that giving pledge where the billionaires give away their fortune and um by the time they die and they were big philanthropists and you know according to the toronto star there there was discussion about that within the family so if that was in discussion and the kid you know these cousins you know, uncle Leo's kids were going to get basically screwed again, even though they continue to lose these court cases. That's motive in my opinion to, to silence him at least from signing anything that says I'm going to give away my money. And, you know, if if you look at like the latest reports, like they even went to the Supreme court to keep all of their details, like hidden about the estate. So, (sighs) <sighs> something's fucked up there
3: well you you just really describe two different types of motives really one would be revenge and one would be money and so i think that it gets difficult maybe you can blur those lines yeah. a little bit and it's a little bit of both but you, you have to wonder if if it's money if money is in fact the motive for this for this double homicide which I lean towards that mm. big time, and we can get into that in a bit here. But um, if money is in fact the motive, who loses the opportunity to get their hands on that money when when he is dead, when Barry is dead? And if you're if you're been battling in court for a decade or more, and you think that you can go that route and win at some point because they kept going to that well over and over again. It sounds like if they lost, they went back and tried it again, a different way. If they lost, they went and tried to figure out a different way to pursue this avenue of collecting what they thought they were owed. I don't see, it doesn't make sense to me. Maybe I'm just a very down to earth logical person, but it doesn't make sense to me that I would go, you know what? if money's my motivating factor that I'm going to change angles and go, you know what, I'm going to go kill this guy or take out a hit on this guy. I feel like I would just continue pursuing the court case, which it sounds like that's what was going on at, even at the time of his death. I, I would worry that, that Barry being dead would, would, would risk me having no chance at getting what I felt that, that I was. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so then the hit then becomes if, if you're that side of the family and, and, and you're ordering the hit, then your motivating factor has to become revenge. It has to be, you know what, uh, this guy has screwed me my entire life. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about my family. He, he owes us this money, which is, we're talking millions of dollars, um, uh, th- then that becomes a, a revenge thought for me. So is this revenge? Is it money? And that's that's the difficult thing here. And then the, the, the pool of suspects are can be different for either factor, motivating factor, revenge pool, money pool. But then there's some people that are dipping in both pools, I think, that that are swimming right in the middle of the 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 aisle there that could could have a foot in both pools a little bit of revenge a little bit of money so
0: what i know about law or will law as far as somebody dying let's say he didn't have will i'm assuming he did
3: since he was so rich so i'm looking at my old notes and, and and full disclosure here for all listening True Crime Garage covered this case in May of 2018 and the Shermans were found dead in their home in December of 2017. So we were covering it when it was fairly new there was not a lot out there and there's a lot that has happened since then. There's been the release of the book what's the name the of the book? The Billionaires Murders. Okay, fantastic book is yeah. what I'm hearing from Kevin other Donovan. people. I've not read it my not read it myself. You are the third friend that I've spoken to that, ha- that has read the book. And so I've heard nothing but good things, but full disclosure, I've not read the book. Uh, so anything that's been new or, or very recent in the case, I'm unaware of bill. You'll correct me if I say anything at any time that, that that's just completely wrong. But from my understanding was that Barry Sherman had restructured his will about five years before he was killed um and, and th- that was what i had in my notes from when we covered it in 2018 okay
0: now he could have now this is I, i've probably been listening to too many john grisham books um but as far as the will goes i wonder if that's why they went to the supreme court to to keep those estate details under wraps because um maybe they're trying to ch- to challenge what the, what it says in the will, you know, who knows what is in the will. I mean, I don't think we have, do we know what's in the will? I mean,
3: again, referring from my notes from 2018, more things have yeah. come to light. I don't know that more things have come to light regarding the exact details of the will. But what I had was that, that Barry had restructured his will about five years before his murder and the very general stipulations of, of the will was that he was leaving everything in his estate to his four children and nobody else.
0: Okay. Yeah. So they had four children and you said that according to your records, everything was left to them.
3: Correct. And no one else. else. So, but, but then that goes into you, of course if 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 honey is still alive at the time of barry's passing then she's
0: the soul
3: she's yeah she would she would inherit uh his estate because it, it's their estate so it doesn't really go anywhere now you can set up your will in different ways i, I don't know the rules of look um, the united states Laws are confusing enough. I've not figured out Canada. <laughs> right. either. They're probably so, much. They're probably much um,
0: simpler. They're probably written in like, like a, a hundred-page manual of all the laws in the whole ca- in the whole country of Canada. This probably takes up a hundred pages. Where ours is like the Congress <laughs> Library
3: of Congress. <laughs> right, right. They're probably better and make a lot more <laughs> sense. But um, so. You know you can set up your will, and I know this from from family members and such, and in my own personal life that you can set it up and say, "Hey, upon my death, X, Y, and Z still goes to my children, leaving X amount to to my spouse." Um, I don't know what the case was. I'm assuming with with how general that statement is that everything was being left to the four kids. That that would require for um for bernard sherman and his wife honey to both not be around for all four children to inherit the estate
0: yeah i mean it would totally eliminate all these lawsuits and oh i have to apologize by the way and this is the seinfeld um brain that i grew up with and i referred to their uncle as uncle leo (laughs) Apologies, uh, it was Uncle <laughs> Lou.
3: <laughs> so, okay, yeah, I heard that. I, th- I thought yeah, right, maybe he knows yeah, something. Uncle Leo, uh,
0: yeah, no, shout out to Uncle Leo. But um, I think actually, I think hello, hello. <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> why don't you just say hello? Anyway, but yeah, Uncle Lou, and and that that's those guys are the most interesting to me. That those kids, you know, from that side of the family um but from everything that i've read he was really supportive as far as like willing to give money to businesses that his you know kids were involved with and i mean he had a lot of bad investments as well but i think that just goes along with being a billionaire i mean you're going to have a lot of people asking for money and you know, how do you think, you know, how do you think at this point in the life? Okay. So how old were they again? They were what 70.
3: they were in their yeah. mid seventies. So
0: they still had plenty of life left in, in them. I mean, my grandparents, my grandmother's 102. So let's just say they, they lived to 90. They still had, you know, 15 more years of living and, I think there could have been a, I don't know. I think there could have been a a fear that maybe they were going to give away their money, you know, because if, if you pull up, if you pull up the star and you look at the star article from 2019, that gives you a little bit of reasoning to think that maybe one of the kids might've had a desire to make sure they did not give away the money.
3: So you just hit on something very interesting. And I think something that that is very important to this case, is it right? I don't know. Is it wrong? Who knows, but let's explore, mm-hmm. right? So what we have here is a scenario of money of financials being the prime motivating factor for the double homicide. Now who, you know that my co-host, the captain loves to say, follow the money. And I think he's right. Most of the time If you were to pursue that angle in this case, you follow the money. Who stands to benefit financially from the death of Barry and Honey Sherman? Well, if my notes are correct, and and that that is what was actually going on at the time, there's only four people on that list. So you have one of the four children and their spouse having committed this or, or hired this out in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. Those are the only four that stand to benefit from, from the death financially. So if you're going to go with that as your motivating factor, then you have to go, okay, well, who amongst the four, because people listening are going, well, motivated factor for, for murder here, Nick, what are you talking about? These kids stood to get that money anyway. Okay, but who amongst the four could not wait? You put brought up a very important thing there, Bill. What if they, they had a lot of life left in them? What if they lived another 15 years? Who on that list couldn't wait 15 years to inha- inherit millions of dollars? Who had to have that money now? Right. I mean, I- and that's where you go. Or take it a step further, not even who couldn't wait, but what were they worried about? Were they worried about the, the will being updated, giving it away, giving, giving a lot of it away, giving it all away. Who stood to lose on, on this? Because I think we've, we've danced around it enough that it's the same thing. Barry, if he dies, that money doesn't go anywhere, but the honey, you need both of them dead before you can collect. We are talking about a double homicide here. And I think that that's one thing that I keep going back to on this case time and time again. I see a situation and I see a crime scene where these individuals look to me to have been attacked separately. It looks to me like someone attacked Honey Sherman And she was very likely killed or in the process of being killed before Barry was even attacked. And if I'm right, then that means that somebody killed this poor woman and then waited for the husband to come home and then killed him. And if that is the situation and it went down exactly that way, I would say money is the motivating factor. And you only have a short list of four people and their spouses to look mm-hmm.
0: at yeah i mean the the family you know they offered a 10 million dollar reward but if you think about it if they know who if one of them did it then you know doesn't right. matter and are how you going to be the
3: one guy in a room of four people that where the other three are going i think we should offer up a reward to figure out who killed mom and dad are you going to be the <laughs> one guy that goes no nah, i don't think we should do yeah, that right or, Oh, why are you sweating bullets over there, Bill, in the corner? Are you hiding something? Um, yeah, of course. You, you, if you, if, if you want justice for mom and dad, you're recommending let's put up ten, ten million, and then the guilty party in the room is agreeing with it just because it, it, you, you don't want to look guilty.
0: Yeah, I, I, you definitely. If you're put on that spot, I mean, how, what else do you do? You have no, no, you have no choice, and. And the thing about the case that's so bizarre, and and I think that Kevin Donovan, he works for the Toronto Star, and um, he's our chief investigative reporter, and he's also the author of The Billionaire's Murder. And, you know, he does a lot of um, pieces on this case, and that's what led him to obviously do the book. But the fact that... um I mean the whole investigation it, the whole crime scene was kind of a clusterfuck you know pardon my french
3: yeah your french french is not very well good. i know
0: and it's it's <laughs> just it's but it's because of this case is so so frustrating because of the fact that they could have been dead i mean i've seen donovan write you know there was a Security camera footage that picked up some individual between I think it was nine forty five and ten fifteen p m the night before um but obviously they have never been able to figure out who that person was and if one of the family members did commit this crime, we also know these family members had the means to hire somebody to do it it's not like they went and personally committed this crime and, and they may have I mean th- it's not to say that they couldn't um, but in a situation like this I feel like I mean it may be the screenwriter in me that's thinking about the fact that a hitman would make more sense and especially with the way that their bodies were found it it, it seems like that was meant to send a message maybe i mean it was either meant to send send a message or it was just completely meant to try to make it look like a murder suicide and that's probably the most yeah. likely scenario
3: now i don't think it was meant to send a-, a message for the purpose of scaring off others or you know this is what happens when you mess with me kind of thing what what this screams to me is that yes there was a message to be sent the message that was to be sent was to create a crime scene to stage a crime scene in a way that tells authorities don't look here don't look there don't don't go looking at the family don't go looking at this business partner it it's it was set up the crime scene was set up the bodies were displayed in a way so that what happened it what what the killer wanted to happen actually did happen. The realtor shows up, sees a scene that looks like a a murder suicide. The investigators show up. They see a scene that looks to them like a murder suicide. Whoever did this didn't want people snooping around. They didn't want you looking for a suspect outside of those four walls. They wanted you to go, okay, this is what we have here. Barry finally lost his shit and killed honey after all these years. And he couldn't take it. He Couldn't live with himself. And then he killed himself. Nothing to see here. Folks shows over. Let's pass out all the money that's left over and go home. No, it, that that's the message that I think was, was sent and, and, and put together by whoever, whoever, um, staged this crime scene. And I think the message was delivered loud and clear. And, and, it, and it worked that way in their favor for the first few days. And it wasn't until the family hires their own group of investigators that the, the case, the investigation starts to take a different angle where, where those investigators are saying, no, we do not have a murder-suicide here. We have a double homicide here. And there's somebody out there that's responsible for this. We need to figure out who and, and why. Um, it's it's bizarre because of of several different factors in this case. First of all, billionaires, regardless of how normal, down to earth they are, they live bizarre lives to you and I because they lived in, we live in different worlds, you know. And and so, from the outside looking in, people go, "Oh, this case is so weird." It's it's not weird their, their life is weird to us. You know, everything about their life is weird to us because we've never experienced that uh, type of life lifestyle. Sure. So I don't find the case to be particularly weird. Um, I think that the one thing that throws a wrench in it a bit is that he, he was so successful. So therefore he had more enemies than, than you and I, And that gives other possibilities. And I think that the other possibilities are really kind of muddy in the waters here and, and making it difficult to see clearly to the path that is your point A from victim to point B, which is your suspect, Mm -hmm. your perpetrator.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you want to look beyond the family, which is like anytime we all know in true crime that anytime it looks like a personal attack, then it's obviously someone close to the family. And, and I believe that that's what most people have come to conclude, but you can't overlook the fact that he literally had hundreds, filed hundreds of lawsuits and made tons of enemies throughout his, you know, business career. And if it wasn't the money that if they were just looking to kill him, well, then Obviously, they did, and they didn't give a crap about the 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 money. It was just delivering the message of "you're dead" because you've stepped on too many people's feet to get to where you are. Um, I I just think it's I think it's pretty wild to think that, um. You know, it's very conspiratorial to think that somebody from another company would have a ceo murdered i feel like that's something that again my uh my movie (laughs) screenwriting background i'm thinking michael clayton (laughs) it's like really do they do, do they do they really do this type of stuff is is it is it that type of thing
3: i mean those guys and Michael Clayton—they knew the what they were doing. True. Those those two hitmen—they knew exactly what they were doing. You, you know, with the injection between the uh, underneath the the toenail, so it wouldn't be easily discovered by law enforcement movie. later. Um, yeah, one of my favorites. Okay, so let's talk about the hit angle here. Again, I'm going to I'm going to back up my own theory that I think this was uh, one of two things. I think went down here. And we, but let's ex- explore one right here sure. first. The hit. Many people say this couldn't be a hit. This looks to be personal. Well, duh. That's what the person <laughs> that ordered the hit wants you to see when you see the crime scene. Because had you sent in the two guys from Michael Clayton and told him, take out, take out dad. Okay. Or, or, or say a company, uh, whomever take if it was a revenge killing against Barry Sherman, he would have been the only one killed. They would have just, professionals would have just killed him and they would not have messed with honey one bit. Second of all, if you are somebody very close and you are on a very short list of people that stand stand to inherit millions and millions of dollars, you're going to be an obvious suspect when you hire the hit man, you tell them you got to make it look like something else. You can't make it look like a hit because if it looks like a hit, they're going to go talk to me and my three siblings. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that. So again, it's, it's the staging of the crime scene. Whoever did this did a good enough job. Or if they were reacting to something, they were smart enough and calm enough that they made it look like something else. This is a staged crime scene, in my opinion. And I think that that really narrows, should narrow the focus of who we're looking at. One, who stands to gain from this, first of all, is, your, is where you're going to go. And then two, who would would want to spend the time to stage the crime scene? And for, and for who benefits from it looking like something else? Again, it's that same short list of people.
0: Breaking news out of Toronto. Apparently, the police have named a person of interest in the Honey and Barry Sherman murders. And here is the press conference that was just held yesterday announcing the person of interest. Thank you so much to Nick of the True Crime Garage podcast for joining me once again during this hectic holiday week to drop some knowledge about the Honey and Barry Sherman case. Now, as a reminder, I drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Anyone with information regarding the Barry and Honey Sherman murders should email the Toronto Police at shermantips at torontopolice.on.ca and if you enjoy this podcast and my other shows that I produce you can help support my podcasts by clicking on the donate button on the left hand side of slowburnmedia.com or Com. now you can also contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at bill-huffman-3 and I will provide a link in the show notes Every contribution helps keep these slow burn podcasts running. Now you can also help support the show by leaving a five star review wherever you listen to your favorite shows because those five stars help keep these cases in the spotlight. If you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered as well as new shows I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. Keep an eye on your feed this afternoon as I will be dropping a bonus episode in regards to the press conferences that were held on December 16th. And again, with the news that this case has found a person of interest is very interesting. So definitely be talking about it again next week in part two with Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening on this holiday week. And until next time... As always, be healthy, and stay safe. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia,